And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Vaden. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I'm in a good space right now. The sun is shining, and um, we have great guests today. So I'm super excited. Torn, do you want to introduce the guest? I usually introduce. Do you want to introduce? I mean, you, you do so much better of a job than I do. Besides, <laughs> people can probably barely hear me because it sounds like there's a tornado going on outside because it's so windy. So we are here with a couple of other podcasters and um, I've already done my sort of starstruck intro with Barry Present, and we also have David Bench here. And I am, I can't even tell you, the listeners can't even see or feel like the glee and joy in my, um, my body and my spirit right now, because it is for so long, I was in a space where nobody was on the same page with me when it came to our kiddos. And so it's so nice to have access to folks who are um, of the same mindset. And, and that is what we're trying to do with this podcast is get other folks, right, to shift the narrative so that they can um, be in the same space that I am in. And I will say to the listeners that the narrative is being shifted. Uh, I think I posted Torin, I work with parents, I do parent coaching, three dads, three dads this week, three dads this week said to me, you know, what you said really makes sense. So I'm just going to let my son flap his hands. I said, that's awesome. Because when dads shift, everybody shifts. Like dads, everybody <laughs> follows. Yeah, yeah, everybody They're usually shifts. the holdouts. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, getting three in one week is not, like, I'm glad, like, we have you guys on because you guys fully understand how big of a task getting three dads to shift in one yeah. week is. That's like pick. That's like pitching three perfect games in a week. <laughs> Get, a good getting week. That's <laughs> Those are Nolan Ryan numbers. Yeah. It's, uh, getting well, getting one dad to do anything any week is a lot. Exactly. <laughs> Let alone change their whole paradigm. So congratulations to both of you and and Torin. By the way. I, I'm like you. I always make Barry do the introductions because I don't take anything seriously enough to actually introduce a guest with any yeah, kind of. Yeah, dude. yeah, that's the reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we are very alike. Yes, well, I think and, so. And then I'm just going to throw it back to you guys to sort of intro yourselves. Just tell the listeners a little bit about you. Um, some folks may know your name, and some folks are new to um, the autism community. So, Barry, would you like to start? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've been around a while. I'm Barry Prezant and I've been around uh, as far as autism goes since I was a teenager, um, 50 years. I'm a speech language pathologist by training. Um, and uh, this has been such a huge part personally and professionally of my life. I, I, I say I, it's difficult to sift out what is what as some neurotypical professionals do that clearly, you know, they go home at three or five o'clock and it's over and done with. Um, but for me, um, it, it's been a huge part of uh, what I value, my own personal growth, having wonderful families, wonderful friends on the spectrum um, and just continuing to learn and learn about myself as much as learning about autistic people. Absolutely. And uh, I'm Dave, uh, Barry's sort of co-producer and, and uh, sidekick host here, uh, co-host of Uniquely Human, the podcast. And um, I've, you know, I, I knew Barry's name from like within the first year of, of my marriage because my wife, actually before we were married, because my wife, uh, she's a life coach now. Um, and uh, she, she, her whole calming her whole coaching approach is uh, she refers to it as being calm AF, which I think a lot of families with uh, <laughs> that are touched by autism, uh, like ours, and, you know, my own personal family, uh, remaining calm AF is is a very. Our last name is Finch, so I'm pretty sure the F stands for Finch. Calm as Finch, but um, <laughs> but before that, she was a speech therapist, uh, an SLP, and um, she had. Uh, she loved uh, the work that she was doing with families. She was doing earlier intervention work, birth to three. She was working with, uh, you know, uh, teens, young adults and, and, uh, and, and elementary age uh, kids in different uh, programs and things for school districts. But she 
had always referenced uh, two people, Dr. Gail Richard at Eastern Illinois University, which was one of her professors that she loved, and, and uh, of course, Dr. Barry here. And uh, so I knew his name just as being somebody who, quote unquote, got it, meaning he got the autistic individual. Um, uh, and um, so then when I, I was diagnosed at age 30 by my wife, <laughs> well, gently, like unofficially by Kristen, I think a lot of wives, you know, can can look at their partner and say like, huh, <laughs> but, um, and, and husbands, let's face it, but um, she actually went that next step and, and had me um, really look into this. And so um, getting a formal diagnosis by uh, a licensed clinical, you know, psychologist and things uh, was, was a game changer for me at age 30. Our marriage wasn't doing so great. And uh, this gave me some awareness into maybe some of my behaviors that weren't really serving the relationship or even serving my own best life. And, uh, and it wasn't always an autism thing, but I, you know, some of it is just being a lazy husband or whatever. And so I, I worked really hard to shore up our relationship and, and learn some new behaviors, uh, which led to me writing essays for the New York times and publishing a book, the journal of best practices. But ultimately, um, led to Barry and I connecting a couple of years ago at a conference face to face and him reaching out and saying, I've always wanted to do a podcast. You want to do one together? And I thought I'm, I would only do an autism podcast with you. So yeah, let's do it. And, and here we are. That's how I ended up here. Torin said, we should do a podcast. And I was like, no, I don't want to do a podcast. Everyone's doing a podcast. I don't do what everyone else is doing. And I absolutely <laughs> love it. I always wanted a radio show ever since I was in Girl Scouts. I was like, I'm going to get a radio show because I have a lot to say and I want everyone to listen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to say that, but I will say, um, and Dave, I apologize for saying David, Dave, my moms often call me from the grocery store. Like they'll go run an errand and call me and they'll say, I think, I think my husband's autistic. I'm like, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, and so then we have to yeah. meander, meander that. Um, yeah, usually the moms are on it. Uh, um, and it's interesting because they get frustrated, right? Because of some things that are not happening from their husband. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you dated him. He was like that when you dated him and then you married him. Um, right. Yeah. And so and that's, it's crazy. Uh, the, the dating versus married scenario, because for so many of us dating, we can put on our best self and everybody does this autistic or not. We put on this version of ourselves. That's going to be excellent in a dating setting yeah, yeah. and excellent when I can go home and be myself and take the mask off and let my guard down and then recharge and do it all again tomorrow. That was the case of Kristen and me in a case of a lot of women. And so after you get married, well, now you're sharing a space. There is nowhere to hide. Mm -hmm. Your mask is either always going to be on, which is impossible, or at some point it has to come off. And when that mask comes off, yes. it's sort of like when I come downstairs and my gorgeous, beautiful wife, where I'm like, oh my God, who, who could look this pretty? And I come downstairs, but she's wearing one of those nighttime, like, <laughs> makeup masks or whatever and she she looks like a serial killer with a <laughs> mask on and it's like holy lord and that's what that's kind of what scenario can be which is like is this what you're like when we when your guard is down oh my gosh we can't go yeah. to family gatherings anymore you like your behavior yeah. is crazy who did and, i marry and also when you're dating you don't have to negotiate how you organize dirty dishes in the dishwasher that is so yes <laughs> that's exactly right that's it. You're on your best behavior and you have your own dishwasher. <laughs> ah, that is true. I, I went to a, um, one of my uh, friends in high school. Her dad was an architect and they built a new house and they had two dishwashers. I was like, that's what I want in my life. You never have to empty. You just feed out of the dishwasher and keep putting them in and wash. Yes. 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 And then four sets of laundry machines. If you oh. want your laundry folded and put away, great. I want mine to stay in the dryer so I don't have to fold it. <laughs> Yes. Out of the dryer. Well, you, know, you know, something that's so relevant to autism is that everybody's in their happy place when you have control of your routines. Mm -hmm. But when you have com combating agendas about routines, yeah. and it could be everything from the, you know, how the furniture set up, to what time you wake up in the morning, to, you know, what you eat at dinner, or do you leave the ketchup on the table during dinner? Does it have to be put away? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> then you have the clashes, you know, it's like... 
That that's right. a really good um, point, and and I guess sort of circling back to actually talking about autism, even though we are, because relationships and autism is very important. Um, I often have to have a conversation with my families because um, Torin reminds parents that the child you have today is not going to be the same person when they grow up. But also, um, you know, parents get concerned about, um, you know, oh, my child's melting down or they're doing this stim that's just really awkward. Are they going to do that for the rest of their lives? And I say to them, not as eloquently as you did, Barry, but they will have autonomy over their time and space when they're grown up. Right now, their children, they have to follow the school routine, which is never really working for most of our kids. The parents right. routine, right? Hurry up and get to school. And if you're not regulated, it doesn't matter. You got to be in the door before the bell rings or you're late and tardy. Mm -hmm. So that autonomy over having control over your space and routine, you just said it. It's like even in relationships. You know, and, and Dave talks about this quite a bit. So maybe Dave, I'll pass it on to you to expand but having to kind of mold yourself to fit the expectations of the neurotypical world. Mm -hmm. um, and that happens in employment and that happens just in daily life constantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were just, um, the molding of oneself, um, Torin, I'm sure you, you know, here's the thing though, like everybody listening to this on and off the spectrum or on the spectrum or not, you know, can be, can relate because, who you are, obviously, we always say if who you are in the job interview is who, much different than the way you talk when you're three wines in with your friend at, at, at the bar, you know, so it's, it's, um, it's something we all do. But with, with, I think with the uh, burden of maybe the autistic brain is always the one having the world is not majority autistic. Yeah. So we're the ones who have, we're like, we're the lefties in the right-handed world, exactly. the square pegs in the right. Yeah. So, and that's, that's fine. We were just talking yesterday. I say that's fine because it has to be like, we can't just wave a wand and everybody understands and becomes an autistic world. Um, and I'm not, you, you can't sit here and suffer because it's, it's not a, it's not like this hard oppression, but at the same time, it is like, geez, you know, this, this, office nine to five setup is not working for me and the employer you gotta like, make tough. the most of, of, of what you got you gotta make the most of the situation oh absolutely and i think if you don't have that mindset um then you're just either not contributing and not participating in society's dream or you are not um you're just going to be kind of suffering and um yeah i think the, the having a space having a place to um in a routine or uh, uh, some behaviors that allow you to get through all this uh, no matter how exhausted uh, you are at the end of the day that's that's whether you're in a relationship or not i think you're you're onto it stacy is that uh um people are trying really hard all day and mm -hmm. so the fact that you had three dads this week change their their mindset change their perspective um is huge because it it's the difference in quality of life for their kid mm -hmm. where it's like i am going to let him flap i am going to let her have an explosive meltdown every day after school and not try to behaviorally correct it just let her have that time to kick the couch mm -hmm. um i was we we were just saying uh in an interview barry and i were talking yesterday and uh, <laughs> I made the analogy that it's uh, me trying to participate in a, a non-autistic world was like putting me on the Lakers and saying, you're a starting forward on the Lakers. Like, <laughs> I don't play basketball. No, like, well, tough. You got to play basketball. That's what you do now. It's like, all right. You know, and I'm just like launching the ball. <laughs> like, Fig figure the it basketball. out. Figure yeah, it out. Exactly. Exactly. Like you want me on your team? Hilarious. I am not going to function well if these are the NBA, like if this is how you play basketball, I can't do it. Um, yeah. So to me, it's almost hilarious. Other people, not so much because, you know, it's the, the, the challenges that I have are not the same challenges that other people on the spectrum have. So I always have to be really careful to put an asterisk on everything I say and say, like, my experience only, your situation might be quite different. Yeah. You would think that would be understood, <laughs> that we're all different and have unique experiences. You would think so. You know, and I'd like to make a comment following up on the story with the three dads. Um, 
of course, it's terrific that they shifted to seeing that, well, if their kid is doing something that falls into our category or what we think of as stimming, that, oh, maybe they're doing it to regulate, maybe they're doing it to calm. That That's the first step. But an equally important issue there is they're not beating up on their kids emotionally mm-hmm. by saying, stop that, and throwing all this negativity on them, mm-hmm. which affects the child's self-esteem, mm-hmm. which has the child think, I really don't want to be around dad that much because mm-hmm. he just dumps all this crap on me that makes me feel lousy. Yep. So it, it's understanding, as we say in Uniquely Human, the why of the behavior, but equally as important, if not more important, is not giving that those negative messages mm-hmm. to a child or to a person as, if this is who you are, it sucks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. really important. And, and I'll share a story. I like to share stories for context. And often when I am um, talking with my moms and they will share, oh, you know, we haven't had a meltdown in like two weeks or, you know, oh, my child, you know, requested this out of the blue and I was surprised. And I'll ask them, so what do you think he did? You know, that that kind of shifted that where, and you know, they try to think of the strategy and they try to think of whatever and and they ponder. And then I say, well, would you like for me to tell you what you did? And I tell them you shifted your perspective of your child And that was a game changer because now your child knows he can trust that you're going to support his sensory needs. Now your child knows that you're going to give him time to process and communicate in a way that works for you. And that is, that's the magic right there. And everything else you can figure out along the way, but that is the key. And that's why this is not about me, but that's why I work with parents because we can't guarantee a good therapist, a good teacher. But if we can get parents to really get on board, um, I just believe that, you know, there can be a lot of narrative shifting in the world. So um, yeah, it makes a difference how parents feel about their kids. Thank you for saying that, Barry. Yeah. And and also what comes to mind is um, what I learned from a good friend of ours, uh, Michael John Carley. And that is, if you want to support people on the spectrum, autistic people, it's not so much about changing their behavior. It's changing our attitudes Mm -hmm. and actions. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's it. That's it. I, I for yeah. the life of me, can't figure out why it's a problem for a child to pace in the back of the classroom while the teacher. I, I mean, I, I like, I still can't wrap my head around why that's a problem, um, but it is uh, for a lot of people. Uh, and my principals would walk into my classroom and say, "What the heck? Like somebody's under the desk working. Somebody's laying on this mat that my principal hated." But all of my kids, I had lights cover, the fire department would come in and say, you got to take those down. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. <laughs> not like, I'm not here for you. But I do have a communication question um, since I have another uh, speech person. They call them speeches in Australia. I work with a lot of families in Australia. Well, that's so where that comes <laughs> from? Yeah, they say speechy. And so now it's stuck in my head. I, uh, I hear speechy all the time. Um, I, I, I really, because I don't get to have a lot of, you know, dialogue, right, with um, folks that are sort of on the same page with me. I'm, I often wonder in terms of a lot of, you know, there's a lot of controversy, of course, in the community about, you know, non-speaking, um, aggressive, you know, behaviors, severe, not severe. And every time I watch a documentary, and Tori and I have kind of uh, talked about this a little bit, the one thing I notice when I see this horrible de- depiction of, you know, this autistic adult or teen, and I just keep thinking, there's no method of communication available to them. There's no method of communication available to them. Yeah. If you don't have a way to communicate, eventually over the years, you're going to be pretty aggressive. And I'm doing air quotes for the listeners because that's one of my trigger words because how frustrating that must be. Now, hopefully, you know, um, with technology available now, I mean, we can, you know, go to the store and get an iPad, but what are your thoughts in terms of not, I mean, you know, just never being introduced to communication and how it turns out to be this, oh my gosh, it's so bad. Um, It's so difficult um, with the behaviors. Yeah, well, I think that goes back to a, a a quote that's used often now. Some people said they first 
heard me say it, but I think a lot of people have been saying it for years. And that is that um, all behavior is communication. And if you do not have a conventional, effective, mm -hmm. socially desirable way to communicate, you're going to find other ways. Mm -hmm. um, and that a, a lot of those other ways come out of a severely dysregulated emotional and physiological state. Yeah. So I don't want to get too fancy here, but um, we, we do know. And, and by the way, this is one of the points that comes from, you know, both the ABA literature or some of it, which, you know, I have a lot of concerns about, as well as the developmental literature. And that is that the best way to prevent so-called, again, terms that are controversial, problem behavior or challenging behavior is to help a person communicate effectively. Um, across the board. I mean, let's get away from this old stuff. Well, we have to manage the behavior. How do you manage the behavior? Well, you tell the kid to stop doing it or there's response costs or you time the kid out. No, you prevent mm -hmm. a person, a human being from getting so upset and so dysregulated that they may bite, scratch, run away by mm -hmm. giving them a way to tell you, hey, you know, this is hard. I need a break, okay? Mm -hmm. Or you're touching me too much. Please stop. Okay. Well, you're talking too much at me, too much information. I can't deal with it. That, that if we give and we help a person acquire socially desirable ways to have more social control in their lives, then that is the best way to prevent meltdowns. That is the best way to prevent. And not only that, but give a person a sense of agency mm -hmm. that I have some control in my life through this thing called communication. Yeah. And I think, you know, if, <laughs> What's going on in the autistic brain that feels urgent and an emergency is not the same uh, for like if a if a typically developing kid lit his shirt on fire and was like I gotta go right now everybody would understand you're on fire you should probably go take care of it but yeah. that's what it feels like inside sometimes and nobody can believe it because they don't see a flame on your shirt yes you know I, sometimes I like to go maybe it's not a fair analogy but I like to go back to um, a neurotypical child in the terrible twos. I mean, what's that about? That's about a child having desires, goals, knowing what bothers him or her, but the language is not quite there yet to be able to express it easily. So what do I do? I have meltdowns, I run away, I scream. And again, that varies greatly from one child to the next. Some kids have milder terrible twos, some kids have more severe terrible to behavior, if you will. But that's all about not yet having the ability to communicate effectively when your mind is much more advanced than that. Exactly. And one of the questions I have, and you actually set this up perfectly, when I read Uniquely Human, Stacy read it years ago. And when I met Stacy, she told me I had to, had to read this book, like was emphatic <laughs> about it. And then she sent me the book, she sent me the ebook. And it's like, you have to read this, you have to read this. So eventually I'm like, fine, fine, fine. Cause I trust Stacy implicitly. So <laughs> I read it and it was an amazing book. I just want to say, first off, and everyone listening should should read Uniquely Human. A little plug, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, oh, feel or free. Listen, or listen to the narrated audio book, which Dave Finch engineered. <laughs> <laughs> like this. <laughs> but yeah, feel feel free to plug all of your stuff, and definitely when we're done with this, we'll we'll let you plug everything. <laughs> um, the thing that stuck out to me the most about the book, I've read a lot of autism books when my when I was diagnosed a kid, my dad bought a whole bunch of autism books, and I read a lot of them. The thing that stood out the most is what you just said. You were able to get into the mind of an autistic kid and rationalize their behavior into a neurotypical concept. So basically, this isn't just some random behavior that makes no sense. If you think about it this way, it makes perfect sense. And the whole book is written like that. And that's the first time I've seen a book about autism that rationalizes and speaks about the autistic experience from an autistic child's perspective. Yes. That, that takes skill and that takes, in my opinion, just a natural ability. But besides the natural ability, what what put you in that mindset? What allowed you to be able to tell a story from a perspective of an autistic child without being on the spectrum yourself? Yes. And, and uh, 
people can't see me probably. I'm smiling ear to ear because that's one of the best questions I have ever gotten. Okay. <laughs> and the answer is ridiculously simple. I am a student of child and human development. I come from the perspective of understanding not only how human beings and children develop, but all the individual differences that there are in development. So if you just are taught to focus on behaviors and changing behaviors, and you don't understand the stages a person is going through, you don't understand what we just spoke about, that if you don't have an effective way to communicate, you'll find a way to communicate that in some ways is not so, in one case, effective, in the other case, even desirable in the eyes of neurotypical people. This is a hammer I want to keep pounding on. Mm -hmm. To be effective working with people, you have to know about child and human development. Mm -hmm. You cannot be effective with people just by making lists of behaviors that you sometimes arbitrarily decide what's desirable and what's not desirable and trying to manage and change that without understanding I am with an evolving human being. And we have not only decades, we have hundreds of years of research. You know, if you want to go back to Piaget and you want to go back to the 1800s on child and human development. So the people who I see who are least effective with a child or a person on the spectrum is people who don't look through a developmental lens. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's more than developmental. Also now it's a, you know, a neurodiversity lens, understanding the individual differences as well. But that, that's a great question. And it, it, it upsets me that probably the majority of professionals who some of whom get their BCBAs, uh, board certified behavior analysts have no training in child and human development at all, at all. How could you work with people without at least being exposed to that information? We, we have a running joke on this podcast. Well, I have a running joke on this podcast. The average BCCA uh, gets their certificate from a weekend course in the back of a gas station where they sell drugs at, <laughs> like one of those sketchy like rural gas stations. Yeah. We, like, we all know that place. You don't want to stop unless you're about to run empty. That's where they're getting their certificates at. Yeah. Most and, of them and, don't yeah. know much about autism. And just to be fair, I will say when, because I, you know, over the years, I'm, I've gotten into programs that were ABA programs. And if I do see somebody who's quite effective with a child, um, either they are so in tune to the emotional regulatory state of the child, or they've had training in child and human development. Mm -hmm. And then I say, you know, what you're doing really isn't ABA. What you're doing is child-centered developmental work. Mm -hmm. And just because you have that degree, that doesn't mean that's what I see as effective with you. Mm -hmm. That's a really, really good point. Thank you for asking that question, Torrent. I have ticker tapes in my head. One, I loved every time your book would go on sale because I would buy several because I give them out all the time. Um, and two, I'm so glad that you get angry because sometimes I feel like I'm just being like, just like, uh, like not open to everybody's not like you, Stacey, because I get infuriated when people don't take that into consideration and my background speech therapy, but I did go to, um, get my master's in child psychology, uh, child development, sorry, psychology, child development, Yes. Um, because understanding the development of a child is important. And one of the things um, that I get the most uh, sort of uh, frustrated about with colleagues when I see goals is when there's a goal for a three-year-old to emotionally regulate and self-regulate. And I'm like, who the hell thought this was a good idea for a four-year-old? Like, who is sitting at the table agreeing to this? And I just get infuriated because it just sets the child up for failure. It makes the parents frustrated because that person did not understand child development. And I, I'm not really worded it that way. I say it in my head, but that is so key. We've got to figure out what we're going to do about that. Thank and, you. And it's key and it's respectful. Mm -hmm. Of course. You know, 
uh, as opposed to from the outside making judgments about something you really don't understand why it's happening when you observe it in that child or person. You know, I will say too, though, that I'm not defending anybody uh, and I certainly don't have a horse in this race, but like, um, I, I also have my feelings about um, the, the, the mistreatment of individuals under the guise of um, whether it's behavior analysis or, or anything. But um, I do know that probably very few people wake up in the morning and think, I, how can I ruin somebody today? I know how I'm going to ruin somebody. I'm going to ruin this kid in this IEP meeting. Ah, it'll be fun. So it's almost like they come at it thinking they're coming at it from the right place place because everything that got them to where they are in their career um mm-hmm. nobody there was no doctor present who jumped in and said wait 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 what what you're what you're attempting to do may or may not be successful in quote-unquote normalizing the kid and making him quote-unquote indistinguishable from his peers mm-hmm. um and so i understand why you're trying to bake this into the uh, iep or whatever because uh you know you can say some demonstrable goal or was was achieved but um, let's look at it from a, a more enlightened approach, a more developmental approach that takes into consideration that it's a human being with a human brain, with emotions and it's his or her own experience. Mm-hmm. So I think a part of the big problem systemically and, and why we need podcasts like yours and podcasts like ours and podcasts like so many others that are, that are out there now um, is systemically, that's just what we have to deal with. We have... Um, we have this thing that's that's misunderstood and rammed down everybody's throat, and uh, you know, they've got a great marketing engine, they've got great lobbyists or whatever they have going for them that makes this the de facto sort of uh, intervention. It's it's uh, we need to pump the brakes a little bit and say, is this really the most um, humane, development uh, focused, uh, strengths based thing, or are we just saying? Here's all your defecates. Here's why you suck. Mm-hmm. Uh, you must be this high to hit the ride, right? Or ride the ride, right? Yeah. Dave, are 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 you displaying empathy and nuance about <laughs> people who you disagree with? You're not, you're not just, autistic you're not just, if you are. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I'm wondering now, are you really on the spectrum? Because you just displayed that like there's shades of gray and not everything is black and white. And I was told by Twitter, by like angry parents on Twitter, that we could, were only capable, and some other autistic people, unfortunately, that we're only yeah. capable of being extremists. So my mind is blown right now. And I really hope the sarcasm is coming through the listener. Tor- Torin, are you okay. using sarcasm? Because you, you're Oh, yes, 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 yes. Maybe I'm not on the spectrum then. Well, well, wait, you know, wait a second. Again, I could see your faces as we're talking. And Torin and Dave, you don't look autistic. Nope, you don't. (laughs) I forgot, I forgot I need, this is an autism interview. I forgot I need to uh, look. But that's the thing. People love to tell you what your experience has to be. And and it's like, huh, how dare you? you and and the weirdest thing is when it comes from inside the autism community it's like wait a minute i've got 97 percent of the world telling me i'm not normal enough and now i've got some people in the three percent telling me i'm not like you enough like come on what well it's exactly like i get like there are some autistic people mostly online because social media is cancer who say that like I don't know why autistic people are extremists. It's like, because that's because the only autistic people you know online, everyone on Twitter is an extremist because the algorithm adjusts for that sort of stuff. That's not real exactly. life. Exactly. Like on social media, it's, it's, and this is a tangent, but social media isn't real life. And I feel like that's where a lot of ideas about autism and neurodiversity are coming from nowadays. And it's yes. a good reflection. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tangent, maybe, but it's an absolutely worthy tangent because the same people who, to our earlier point, who are going into these IEP meetings, who call themselves, you know, who are professionals, um, are the same people reading the same things you and I are reading on Twitter and, and on, you know, seeing the same viral things on TikTok. Like, uh, but it's, if we could just lower the temperature all around and take a deep breath and say, if we look, if we listen to the individuals on the spectrum, who who were products of this approach or that approach 
and this approach might be ABA and that approach might be certs and approach C might be nothing. We didn't do anything. We just went and we went to an occupational therapist, a speech therapist. And after that, like we just raised our kid. Um, we look at those outcomes and, you know, who's ask people what their experiences were, why they were that way. And that's, that's really what Barry's entire career, his entire body of work over all these decades has, has been about, which is, understanding why and understanding the person's perspective and i think torin you hit it right on the head like some people translate languages barry translates experiences so he can make neurotypical sense of an autistic experience and vice versa um that and, is totally uh, going in the promotional thing when someone takes like a quote from the podcast it's like promotional stuff that quote <laughs> right there that is go that is going in there that is going in there that is perfect <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and you know I, i'd like to kind of go back a little bit to the previous point about understanding development and a developmental perspective because i want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm clear so some people will say oh well we're developmental we know that children by 18 months should be using single words by 24 months should be using two and three words together and so forth developmental milestones is one tiny little slice of what knowing development is about. I think what's so much more important than that is understanding the complexity of a human being that connecting socially is very much interrelated with your language and your communication, which is very much interrelated with how you process and understand the world, which is very much interrelated with your sensory experiences. That all of these things impact each other, not like the IEP, where we compartmentalize and we have little slices. So we have language and then we have cognitive, then we have academic, and then we have something called behavior. And behavior is usually all the stuff we don't like, you know, mm. and everything is broken down as opposed to getting back to the point we discussed earlier. Well, you know, maybe if this child melts down and drops to the floor, he's protesting going into the noisy gym or she's protesting when he or she doesn't have a way to say, I'm scared, mm -hmm. or it hurts my ears. You have to think in terms of the proverbial whole human being and not in little compartments and slices because that leads you down the totally wrong path. Exactly. And Barry, what, I'm, what I know from your perspective on things, I think we agree on this is that, and I'm sure all four of us agree on this, is that what we're not saying is, raise a person in such a safe little bubble that they're so fragile and delicate that when they're adults they everything has to be an accommodation just for them because the world eventually stops accommodating you like that's that's the cliff everybody talks about right so um the 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 goal here is just to respect the individual so that we can build the skills necessary to just function in a non-autistic non world predominantly yes without crushing someone's spirit and making them um, filled with anxiety, filled with resentment, filled with self-loathing. Yeah. Someone, yeah. Um, a behaviorist asked me once how I get kids to do things without using reinforcements. She's like, well, what do you mean? I mean, I don't know how you get without reinforcements. I said, you know, I actually respect them as a human being and we develop a relationship and it actually just works. Like they're actually willing to like play with the shaving cream, even though they kind of pushed back just because like, it's really that simple, like just human beings connecting. You, you know, Stacey, yes. that's such an important point that, you know, very often learning, especially learning new things that may be a unfamiliar or a little bit frightening it's for any person mm -hmm. it's taking a risk mm -hmm. in many cases it's taking more of a risk for autistic people and autistic children where the world is you know i haven't had great experiences so much with the sensory environment or people in the world but you take more risks if you're in a trusting relationship yep. with that person and let's tie this back to development mm -hmm. what also happens is you know th there's an old term, and again, I'm saying this information has been around for a long time, a very famous Russian psychologist named Lev Vygotsky spoke about the zone of proximal development. So what does that mean? If we understand where a child or a person is developmentally, you can raise the bar. 
mm-hmm. but you don't raise the bar 10 feet over their head. You raise the bar oh. one or two feet mm-hmm. over their head so they could score that basket and they could accomplish what might be a little challenging. They need some extra support in doing that to be successful. But once they do it, it's like, and one of my favorite phrases for kids, especially for kids who speak, but also kids who don't speak could do it on their device. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite phrases is, I did it. <laughs> this sense of competence, mm-hmm. this sense of, yeah, this was a challenge, but I put myself out there. I raised myself. Thank you for the help <laughs> if necessary. Um, but that that's what another aspect of a developmental perspective. And um, you just said, um, you know, mentioned competence in terms of, you know, always assume, com- I mean, I, I say that all the time, assume competency. Yeah, they can read. I mean, they're picking videos off the, like they ordered using your credit card. Yes, they can read. Because um, I had a kid who did that, memorized the credit card and ordered from China. Um, and they were like, well, we don't really know. Um, if he can read, really? Seriously? Are we having to do a formal assessment to decide if he can read? But thinking in terms of the child feeling that, you know, competency, but also that they, the other people in the room recognize that they could do it, right? And, um, you know, one of the things in regards to communication and another point of why it's so important um, because it, it really breaks my heart. And of course, my role is to help parents sort of shift that when, you know, eating fruits and vegetables is a priority over communication. I'm like, uh, you don't need to eat vegetables to get a job. You need to communicate to get a job. Uh, but the, they don't think their children are competent or even adults who are non-speaking or communicate in a different way. People assume with lack of communication that's effective and efficient, you are not competent. And that's one of the other reasons why it's so important to get it in place because they can't even, people don't believe that they're competent because they can't communicate it in a way that the other folks who don't get it understand for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, you you know, one of my my favorite stories is um, that of a young man named Justin. And a few years ago, we, we had a fundraising conferences and, and we're starting them up again, hopefully, for our parent retreat weekend that we do. Um, and we had a, um, a mom and uh, her son, Justin, on, on stage. They presented together. Um, Justin was diagnosed as severely, profoundly autistic when he was three. Mom and dad were given terrible progno- pr- prognosis for the future, for his life and for the life of the family. Um, bottom line is he now lives in his own apartment. He's an artist. Um, he actually navigates the subways of New York City by himself. Um, and my point anyone is, who lives in New York City knows that's no easy task. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And 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 when they were on stage, um, a mother from the audience asked, "How uh, uh, of the mother of Justin? How did you deal with the fear? I mean, you you kind of." took him out on the subway and you had him navigate by himself and you made sure he didn't do anything, you know, that could be harmful to him. How do you deal with the fear? And she said two things. The first was, and this is my important point. She said, I believe in Justin. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other point was, I believe in God, (laughs) which is an, you know, which is something that is important for some families and some parents and less Mm -hmm. so for others, as far as, Mm -hmm you know, putting your faith um, in God and in religion, if it's an organized religion. But the bottom line is, how can we help and support parents in having faith in their kids? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I think that's the point you were kind of getting at. Yeah, that, that is well. that's why I wake up every day <laughs> to get, um, and, you know, it, it's, it's just been one of those weeks. And I, I will say last night I finished a session and, When I tell you the smile on the mother's face, the joy she expressed about understanding her son and all she kept saying, because I hear this all the time, I don't understand why no one's told me this. We've had so many therapists. Why hasn't anyone explained this? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I really am. But now you know. So let's go from here. Um, uh, But it, it is just... 
And then it's sometimes I feel like, okay, I'm done. Like that's like, you get it now. You know, of course I'm not done, but <laughs> that's the key <laughs> to get everything else is just simple. Um, uh, I, I tell Torrin sometimes I have parents that there's been that one thing that happened, right? Because they trusted me to try, you know, whatever it was that I, I said to do. And, um, oh, I will actually share that story um, because the story kind of is a good story. Nice. Um, so the family that actually sort of uh, uh, was my muse for doing the, the work that I do now um, was just a friend, a family friend. And somebody said, oh, call Stacy. So I worked with this mom on the phone like for 18 months and she would call me and she called me the first time upset because her son was banging his head on the wall. And I said, listen, this is going to sound wacky. This is what I want you to do. I want you to get a big Rubbermaid tub, tub. I want you to go get some beans and rice and stick them in there naked or with a diaper. So she immediately told her husband, before you come home, pick up blah, blah, blah. She sends me a video three hours later. He's in his glory. And she made a video and told everybody, my child has never banged his head on the wall since I did what Stacy did. And I say that to say, if I were to tell her, paint your house blue and your child will start whatever, she would have painted her house blue. And that is the part that, you know, I, I, I want more, I know we're having more therapists, but I want more therapists and teachers to be able to get it so they can help the parents get it. If, you know, because you can't rely on, on doctors. Uh, I mean, that's not always going to pan out really well. No. Um, so for all those listeners, it makes a difference from a parent perspective. Uh, you guys know your kiddos. So I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> well, you make a good point about if she would paint her house blue. And that's where all four of us made a mistake. If we just made shit up and just told them like we could cure autism, we could all be rich right now. Like we'd be exactly. all we we'd be all filming this from the Hamptons instead of wherever we are. So that's a that's a big miss on all of our parts. I just want to say, <laughs> well, I think one... you're, you're onto a billion dollar idea here. But you're right; it is. But that's the thing is the the parents. I mean, as vulnerable as people on the spectrum are, or any child is, mm -hmm. um, parents in newly diagnosed uh, newly diagnosed parents will say are so vulnerable to, you know, there's, there's a, there's an uneasiness, a fear and anxiety uh, and uncertainty around it. And um, you combine that with um, a professional telling you, I wouldn't have a lot of hope, you know, for, for this, uh, for this skill set, you know, to come along or, or, um, you know, you guys are going to have to uh, resign yourselves to some uh, lesser version of what you wanted your reality to be like when they hear that, um, of, of course, then when somebody comes along and says like, Hey, here's a thing that'll make your kid look normal and bonus, we can put an insurance code on it and get billable hours to ching, to ching. And that's, you know, okay, yeah, let's do it. If my insurance yeah. covers it, absolutely. So, and then before you realize it, you're, you know, and Barry made a good point about this just, uh, in an episode we just recorded, uh, for the uniquely human podcast, which was, um, you get, uh, you get other kind of fear narratives that creep in like window of opportunity. Like what you don't want to do is let your kid reach age five and they're not able to X, Y, Z. And as a parent, especially a new parent, and you think, Oh gosh, well, I better get on the ball. And what I think the uniquely human perspective is, is so in alignment with what you're both describing, which is, uh, understanding that development obviously first first and foremost is lifelong as barry always says um but it's also your trust your instincts as the subject matter expert in your kid mm -hmm. you, you might you might not have all the medical knowledge in the world of gi problems that are you know attendant with autism spectrum whatever but you know your kid better than anybody ever will so um trusting that and keeping that as your north star on any decisions approaches you want to take to help um to help your child grow and develop that really has to be the most important factor yeah and you're right they do get um uh, you know in one of my trainings a long time ago i talk about how 
it's so frustrating that parents get a diagnosis and a piece of paper and that's it. And nobody says anything mm. about what autism is like, and they're just wandering and then there's fear and then there's all this stuff. And then somebody says, oh, do this. And, and that's why I started doing some of my video modules. Cause I'm like, okay, no one's telling parents what autism is. They need to know when they get this diagnosis, what that means. Um, and it means something different, of course, to each individual, but they need to know what that means and they're not. And so they are getting into situations where it's not usually, um, I always just get fascinated when somebody does something for eight years and there's no progress. And I'm like, so why are you still like, right. like so how long? Like, right. right. Like, I mean, we wouldn't stay with a hairdresser that didn't do our hair right for more than three times. We would be like out of there. There's no way we would stay. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I know it's also parents feel intimidated, right? And so that's where that education and empowerment comes in. And when you know, then you have more to be able to say, um, uh, I know I'm a different kind of person um, in terms of very strong willed or um, whatever it is. I interviewed doctors before they worked with my kids. I had 10 questions wow. and a new pediatrician. And they, if they didn't answer the 10 questions the way I wanted, I went on to the next doctor. I knew exactly what I wanted for my children. Um, and of course I was raised by strong black Southern women. So that was <laughs> definitely, you had to learn how to fight your way to get your stance. But um, I try to help parents and moms, especially like you are the mom, you are the parent that has a right to ask a question, right? Yeah. You, um, it's your child and you're the expert. Um, you know your child. I'm just helping you understand the why. Go ahead, Barry. And it's, and it's also your genetic hard wiring as a parent to make yeah. sure your kids are well cared for, they're safe, mm -hmm. um, that no, no damage is being done to them. But I wanted to, just another point, because as I get older by the minute, I get more bolder by the minute. Um, there, there's a lot that's going on for years in the field of autism that just is blatant malpractice. Um, maybe not legal malpractice, even though I'm waiting for some of those lawsuits to happen, but clinical and educational malpractice, such as giving a diagnosis and not having any kind of system for supporting the parent or the family further. Um, and I'm not saying, okay, you have to be the one who then does your therapy or does your educational work, mm -hmm. but how could you give a diagnosis, especially, you know, one of my worst stories that I heard from a parent was um, hospital team gave a diagnosis. It was up to the social worker to break it to the parents and the social worker began with, I have some terrible news to tell you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's, but all the, all the other malpractice about misinterpreting research, about saying we have the only approach that is evidence-based when it's not the truth. And there's other evidence-based approaches out there, which still happens. Um, right. I mean, th this flies in the code of ethics of my association, the Speech and Hearing Association, the uh, APA, American Psychological, this stuff going on in autism that constantly violates the code of ethics of professional organizations. Um, don't, don't, don't even go to that workshop. There's nothing you could learn from that approach. I mean, parents are told this right. stuff all the time. And, you know, it, it's, but parents, I know so many parents would love to go back and sue, mm -hmm. but they still have the child in front of them and they still have a growing family or they don't have the the resources yes to sue so exactly. i mean so parents have to keep moving forward and do the best for their child and their family when they know they mm -hmm. might have legal cases about information or therapies yep. that were done with their child that were damaging yep. yeah you've got to say something because it just continues and i know we are closing um torn if you'll be okay with me sharing this last story that ties into what, what barry said oh yeah of course um, go for it i had a one of my former classmates her daughter went into speech therapy and so she knew the work that i was doing in the autism community and she asked if she could be mentored and i said oh sure and um, she was working with kids and she at the time she was waiting to get into the master's program so she became an rbt and was working in a bcba uh setting or clinic aba clinic and I remember one day she called me hysterical and said she had been watching this, this technician um, throw this child's food in the trash and um, 
take things away from the child and the child would cry for a long time. And I said to her, well, did you tell the supervisor and report it? And she said, it was my supervisor. And I said, so why are you calling me? And she said, because I don't know what to do. And I said, you do know what to do. You're just afraid to do it. I said, what do you think you should truly do? She says, I think I need to do something so it doesn't happen again. And yes, and what are the risks that come with that? Well, I don't wanna lose my job. And I said to her, I said, you know, I know you a little bit and I know that you um, have faith in God. I've seen your post, I know you go to church. I said, so I'd like to know what you're gonna say when you get to heaven gates. And God says, you allowed that little boy to be continually abused for $12 an hour. And you didn't have enough faith that I would find you another job. Hmm. And she was silent hmm. and she quit and she reported it to the state. Um, uh, luckily that lady's been shut down. That lady hates me because I report her all the time. <laughs> her clinic was horrible. <laughs> But it is one of the things that haunts me because I've seen so much, which is why, you know, sometimes I'm so pessimistic. So I'm like, don't send your children to school. You don't know what's going on there. Um, but for the, the, the things that are happening to children, because no one says anything for a yeah. job. I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh, you don't have enough faith in your own skill set. Like you really, I mean, I've lost jobs. I've been put out. I've been, I had a, super, a special ed director literally change the entire job description criteria. So I could no longer work there. And I said to her, <laughs> bye, F you, I'm good. Like, why yeah. would I keep a job knowing children are being abused? Yes. I, we've got to say right. something. Listeners, we have to say something. Uh, all right. Oh, well, is there anything I like important it. sharing there? Important. I sharing. love this. I love where this went. That was, uh, um, and that's just exactly it for twelve dollars an hour, like um, because the the people who isn't it something that the people who are there to show up for the best interest of the kid are the ones who have to sweat losing their job because the people who are there for, in the best interest of billing insurance and in the best interest of covering our asses, you know, so the lawyers yep. get off our back. Yep. Um, they're the ones who are fine. They're yep. grandfathered in. They're never going to leave. It's the ones who are like, Hey, this is not supporting the child the right way. It's like, how dare you? <laughs> yep. um, um, yeah. So yeah, you do have to be every, I think. And, and that's kind of what I was saying before, which is, this isn't going to be like a top shifting a narrative like this, reframing things at a societal level is never going to be top down. It's never going to be through legislation. It's never going to be through social media. Influence. It's going to be through just spreading the word, mm -hmm. uh, grassroots conversations like this happening all the time in more and more places mm -hmm. um, and actually having conversations, not um, like I said, let's lower the temperature and, and not... Uh, you know, be so combative within the community of all things. Like, uh, Torin, you made an excellent point. Like, within the autism community, we have to have each other's backs. We can't be super combative because that's uh, it's kind of self-defeating to the to the movement here. <laughs> you, you know, and if I could share something just very quickly, um, and this is going to sound like uh, I'm tooting our horns here, but I'll take that risk, okay? I, I was <laughs> amazed at the reaction to my book, Uniquely Human, because I, I saw it just as a book of, telling stories, what I've learned, infusing some of the research that I've done with colleagues to underlie all of that. I'm amazed at the reaction we're getting to our podcast, okay? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, and, and it, it's reactions like, oh my God, I see my child through a totally different lens now, or this is life-changing, or oh my God, there are other people who think like I do. And this comes from autistic people, from parents. And then I just sit back and think, there's so much terrible stuff going on out there that Dave and I on the podcast and in, in the book, Uniquely Human, and Dave in his book, we're just sharing experiences and people mm -hmm. are saying, I found the Holy Grail, you know? Yeah. But it's yeah. only the case because so much awful stuff is going out there from society, from other people, from other professionals. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, so- you know, my half of this body of work that we're, we've kind of 
teamed up on is is uh, so much focused on relationships because I'm not a subject matter expert in autism. I'm a subject matter expert in how to not be a crap husband anymore uh, simply because I went through that journey and did it, right? Live it to give it or however they describe it. So um, I, I too was surprised by the responses of couples saying, oh my, I just got an email actually a couple days ago from a, a, another marriage and family therapist. I get emails from them all the time and they say like, hey, just want to let you know, uh, I uh, recommended your book, prescribed it, quote unquote, to a couple that I'm working with who's having some challenges, super insightful for them. And, uh, you know, they're on their way to a much clearer understanding of each other and where they're both coming from. Relationships being essentially clashes of neurological cultures all the time. Yes. And um, you have to have cultural sensitivity for somebody else's mental culture, their, their intellectual culture. So um, the, uh, <laughs> the response is, it's funny, when you just are sharing the reality, people mm -hmm. can relate to that. When you're sharing fear mongering, mm -hmm. people, uh, I don't know if they relate to it, but they certainly get scared enough maybe to respond to it and, and, and take the hook right in their mouth and bang, you know, you, you've got a hook. But I think that it, it's so productive to be sharing just the stories and, and, uh, um, and, and not sugarcoating any of the hard stuff not downplaying any of the fun stuff that there is to celebrate because there's, there's a lot to celebrate. There's a lot to find hilarious. Um, and there's, there's a lot to, to um, mourn as well sometimes. So um, you have to take all of it, but you have to take it all with equanimity because it's not like, again, it's the human experience. And um, right. so the more, the more we can relate that, and that's what the uniquely human book is. The Journal of Best Practices, my book is is about us, like literally one couple. Of course, I wrote a book all about 250 pages about me. Um, and, uh, and the I loved your book. I loved your book. And I it's the oh, first book. It's the first book I give to I remember when your book came out, I was like, Oh, my gosh, Amazon. I mean, like, and then hiding the packages from my spouse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, my mother, my mother this? taught me that my mother taught me that skill set, <laughs> but, um, it is the first thing I have on my phone, the picture. And so when a mom says, I think my husband's autistic, I'm like, I need you to get this book and read it. Cause that's going to help. Um, especially my moms who are what I call out spectrumed. Are you guys familiar with that show where that guy's out daughter? They had like six daughters. And so I, know, I have, yeah, I have moms who are married to uh, either undiagnosed or diagnosed autistic man, and then all of their children are autistic and they're the only neurotypical and they're yeah. just so like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Well, the funny thing is like, uh, so my wife, Kristen, she's got her own kind of cuckoo things but like she's she is the neurotypical of the family and of a family of four and then we got a dog we adopted a puppy this was like seven years ago it turns out the dog is autistic as you know as as anything can be and so uh you know he's got extremely rigid routines and and like enforces them on us and it's like geez so it's i think it's hilarious again going back to the hilarious of it all it's funny to me that Kristen can't catch a break because i'm like yeah this is what it feels like for the rest of us Every time we leave the house, yes. that's how you feel inside the house. Which is like, <laughs> what is this craziness? <laughs> and our viewers can't see it, but I just like to note out note that before he mentioned his wife, he turned for a good five seconds and scanned the room to make sure she wasn't there, and then turned back to the camera and then mentioned his wife. Very smart. See, he knows what he's doing. He's been married almost twenty years. <laughs> I, I thought that was I thought that was gay's aversion due to dysregulation. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's See, a, I, 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 I don't want to get I don't want to get chewed a new one. But before we no, go, that's that's argument aversion. <laughs> before we go, I, I want to give you guys a chance to plug all of your stuff, and of course, all the links will be in the description. But uh, plug away because you have so many great stuff to offer a lot of people. So. Well, uh, well, go for uh, it. Yeah, well, of course, there's uh, uh, Uniquely Human, which was published in its updated and expanded edition um, in 2022. 
I mentioned um, the uh, audiobook version, which I did with Dave, expert engineer he is, uh, and uh, the podcast, of course. I mean, we have the most incredible guests. We just uh, passed 75 episodes, and and the great majority of them are autistic guests. Um, and uh, if people could check my website, I have it. I need to load a lot more articles, but there are a lot of free downloads of articles going way back, actually, to the early 1980s. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's about it for now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, so in addition to... Um you know, just loving every second of working with Barry on the Uniquely Human podcast. You know, my book is called The Journal of Best Practices. It's basically my quest to become a better husband after I received uh, a, an autism or Asperger's diagnosis as an adult. Um, and uh, the comedy ensues from there. <laughs> and um, it's a lighthearted romp into a destroyed marriage. And then um, my uh, my wife and I, I'm along those lines, um, have a course called opposite af <laughs> oh, wow. like your podcast calm af and opposite af is really just how we were able to roll up our sleeves and do the work on ourselves mm -hmm. to show up better for each other and for ourselves in our marriage and and a lot of people have taken the course it's an online course it's cheap it's like a hundred dollars or something like that because we want we want as many people to be able to afford this and take advantage of it as they can and um you can go to um either davidjfinch.com or kristenfinch.com and that's kristen with an e at the end um and uh those courses are available there uh opposite af and then i do want to actually have one plug that benefits me none but i just think it's cool and that is um if anybody's into this new hit show, this hit comedy on ABC, it streams on Hulu as well, called Not Dead Yet. There is um, a character with Asperger's. He's a he's a he's a male roommate, and I consult on that show. And they used my book as kind of like a, a reference point for for a lived autistic experience. But um, I, as a consultant to the writers, I helped them kind of define the character and shape the storylines a little bit. And so in doing that, what we were able to achieve is a really cool character that we don't really see too often in media, which is um, a character with Asperger's who is so, who sees the world through such an obviously like normal and logical lens that it's, you know, it, it kind of turns the narrative, the theme mm -hmm. of this podcast, of course, turns the narrative on its head where he's the one that everybody learns from and uh and he's he's just cool he's sarcastic great sense of humor and and it's it's a great show so if you watch want to watch that that's on abc it's called not dead yet that's but, good to uh, know I'll, I'll make sure to check that out i don't watch live tv so definitely i'll make sure to check that out and i'll tell uh people i know who do watch a lot more tv than i do to uh check that out yeah cool and, and awesome and if I could interject one thing, because I, I want to give a lot of credit to some of my collaborators. Yeah, go for uh, it. Let's we, do, go. we do have an educational model called the CERTS model, and that's S-C-E-R-T-S. -E um, and my colleagues do trainings, and I've kind of pulled back a little bit from the international trainings. But Emily Rubin, a speech-language pathologist, and um, Amy Laurent, who's an OT and a developmental psychologist, do trainings around the world and online on the CERTS model. The website is www.certs.com. It's an evidence-based model um, that is now being implemented in close to 20 countries. So, and we're trying to really get it out in this country, yes. And thank you both for being on. And Stacy. that's why we're working to... Shift the narrative on everything autism. See ya.